Hey, Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and first, I want to tell you that today's episode is me and Mike Gordon reminiscing about Sir Roger Moore, who recently passed away. I wanted to, I didn't want to do so much a heavy memorial episode, uh, certainly not like what I did with Prince. But I did just want to talk to somebody about Roger Moore and about his impact and, and, and mainly about his James Bond stuff because that's what I am more familiar with. So this, this is a fun episode that Mike Gordon and I recorded and, and enjoyed sharing our memories of Roger Moore and our thoughts about uh, various aspects of his life and career. But I do want to talk about a couple other things before we get to that uh, conversation. The first of which is the fact that I just saw Wonder Woman. Uh, me and the family and friends of the family went to the AMC Theater, which is now my favorite, thanks to reserved seating, uh, and a great quality screen and, and audio-visual experience. But the reserved seating is kind of A number one. Like, I, I don't even go anywhere that doesn't have reserved seating now. So we went and saw Wonder Woman, and I am very, very happy with it. You guys know that the other DC movies I have enjoyed to one degree or another while recognizing their flaws. Wonder Woman is a much, much better movie uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. I, I don't think it's even debatable. Uh, the story structure, uh, the character work, the, the way that they get the character of Wonder Woman, it's, it's very good, you guys. So very good that I'm really hoping I can find some time before we go out of town on Monday to do an episode about it. But I don't know for sure that that's going to happen. I'm going to do my best to try and wrangle some guys up. We'll see how that goes. But I give it, and I've only seen it the one time, and and I went into it with a fairly critical eye because I was so let down by Alien Covenant, uh, which if you want a more positive review than the one that we gave last week, uh, you can go to Needless Things this past Tuesday and check out Beth's review, which she uh, enjoyed. She, she provided some counterpoints to me and Ryan and Mike's criticism. And I, I get what she's saying, but she didn't change my mind. So I, I went into Wonder Woman with somewhat of a cynical eye, maybe even a little more cynical than, well, you guys know, I, I go into things generally wanting to enjoy them, wanting to have a good time, which is why so often I have a better time than a lot of other people do. But this one, uh, after being let down by Covenant and being aware of the flaws of the past DC movies, I, I got to be honest with you, my hopes weren't very high. And, and the trailers didn't do a whole lot for me either. I mean, I love Gal Gadot. I, I think she is probably one of the five most gorgeous women on the planet her eyes you could just swim into them uh, and i think she captures wonder woman in the same way that christopher reeve captured superman i think it's wonderful and and i know that was i, I felt that way before even seeing this movie uh but I, I felt that she was given the opportunity to show that in dawn of justice and now 
you know, now that she has had her own vehicle, it is more obvious than ever that she was absolutely brilliant, spot on, perfect casting. And I can't imagine anyone else doing the job, you know, regardless of what you may think of her, her physique, which I think is fine. She's athletic and, and she pulls off everything that she needs to pull off. But, uh, anyway. I highly recommend you go see this movie in the theater. Support this movie. Uh, reward Warner Brothers for putting their faith into Patty Jenkins and the people that put this movie together for, I don't want to say changing direction, uh, even though it is very obvious that so much of it is, is different tonally than what has gone before. But go, please go reward Warner Brothers and show them that this is what we want. Uh, unless you go and see it and then you're like, that's not what I wanted, which I don't know what you wanted if that's not what you wanted. But anyway, Wonder Woman, very happy right now. Uh, definitely want to see it again. I wish I could see it again before we talk about it. That's totally not going to happen. So you guys stay tuned. Hopefully, uh, this coming week or, or next week rather will be a Wonder Woman episode of the Needless Things podcast. We'll see. Okay. Another thing I want to mention is over the course of my conversation with Mike Gordon, at one point, Q comes up, and I refer to him as Llewellyn Davis, which is completely wrong. That's an entirely different uh, entity. It, it is Desmond Llewellyn, or Llewellyn, or, or however it's pronounced, is Q. I, I just made a stupid verbal slip, which, you know, honestly, if you guys are keeping track of that, I'm sure you've got a list of hundreds of them somewhere. Uh, because, as I like to point out, the brain is getting old. She don't work like she used to. Old gray mare, she ain't what she used to be. Uh, thank you to the old man dancers. Uh, what else have we got going on? Things are revving up for Dragon Con. More details about that uh, coming soon on Patreon to the patron cast, hopefully. Uh, I, I've been neglecting things over there once again, but please do remember when you go to supportphantom.com, you are supporting this podcast, you are supporting needlessthingssite.com, and you're supporting everything that Phantom Troublemaker does uh, as a touring personality. I say touring very loosely because I basically tour to downtown Atlanta to go to Dragon Con, but uh, you know, that costs money. Everything costs money. So when you go to supportphantom.com, you are supporting all of these pursuits. And because I pay for everything out of pocket. And, uh, you know, I, I give you bonuses as often as I possibly can over there. And right now I think there are about uh, 8, 10, 12, 13, something like that, episodes of the patron, uh, Patreon exclusive patron cast. Uh, there are a few other bits and pieces, uh, different things I've put up over there over time that you can only get if you're a member at supportphantom.com. So thank you for that. If you don't feel like doing that, you can always go to needlessthingsite.com. And click on the big old Amazon box and buy stuff through there. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And Needless Things gets a nice little kickback uh, when you go in there and buy stuff. And the easiest thing to do is when I put up a toy review, if you say, oh, that's a neat toy. I'd like to buy that. Like my upcoming review of Mezco's 112 Collective Joker. If you see that and you're like, ooh, I need one of those, just click on the Amazon box right there on the website and buy it through there. And you'll get a great Amazon price. Won't cost you anything extra, and I'll get a little bit from it to uh, help pay for hosting and everything else that goes along with being a Z-grade Internet celebrity. So I think that's all I've got for you 
this time around next week uh, with Wonder Woman, if I get that episode put together, that'll be interesting. I've got a very cool thing that I'm doing while I'm up in Wilmington, hopefully, if scheduling works out. That is that is my mantra. If scheduling works out, uh, then I'll have a very cool episode for uh, probably two weeks from now, and then a new Needless Commentary coming up. Uh, actually, no, the Needless Commentary would be two weeks from today. Uh, and then the week after that would be my special Wilmington surprise, Wilmington, North Carolina. And, uh, but the needless commentary, this one is, it's Arian's birthday month, so it was his pick. And you guys are gonna like it. I know we're gonna like it. I'm actually really excited about watching this one. I, I'm excited about watching almost everything we watch, except for Crawl. And, uh, good, good fun stuff coming up. You guys are gonna wanna stay tuned. So, without further ado, uh, here is me and our dear friend Michael Gordon paying our respects to the memory of Sir Roger Moore. May 23rd of 2017, uh, we lost someone that to me was a huge part of my pop culture life, somebody that inspired me and that, that I have a connection to in a couple of different ways just from, from growing up. Uh, Roger Moore passed away at the age of 89 from cancer, uh, apparently a very brief but intense uh, bout with cancer. And I wanted to talk to someone that I knew had sort of a similar, uh, not necessarily connection, but life experience uh, to me with uh, Roger Moore as far as the James Bond franchise goes. And probably a, a wider pool of knowledge than what I have about Roger Moore's career and uh, life. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. I, you know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that it's under these circumstances, but any excuse to, uh, celebrate, uh, the life of Roger Moore as well as, um, you know, the James Bond franchise in general, I, I usually, uh, am all over. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I want to do is just talk about, you know, he was, uh, it, it is sad that he passed, but he was 89 years old. He'd lived a full life. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's not one that I can really call a tragedy. 
but it, it is definitely sad. And he was, uh, for many reasons that we'll get into, uh, one of those guys that's kind of up there with uh, like Adam West and Tom Baker for me as far as just being that kind of older male hero that when I was a little kid just seemed so cool. Uh, and that's, I just want to talk about what we know of him, I guess. Cause like I said, I don't know that I've ever seen an episode of the saint. Uh, I've seen him on Maverick, but there's a lot of things once I sat down today and, and I do want to make it clear to the listeners that I sat down to look at his career and what he'd done, but I'm not going to sit here and act like I know everything about the guy because most of my frame of reference is, uh, Roger Moore as James Bond. What, what about you, Mike? What, what do you, how familiar are you with him outside of the Bond franchise? Um, just a little bit. Um, I, I've seen him in a few other movies. Uh, obviously he did have a extensive career both before and after, uh, playing James Bond. Um, but obviously that was, that was the moneymaker for him. I mean, that's what, you know, when, when he passed, that's what all the headlines said. And it was a bit, Making it even more bittersweet, I think, was the fact that he's the first Bond actor to pass. Um, yes. at least, at least as far as the official James Bond franchise goes. Now, you know, Bond fans out there are probably going to go, no, he's not a, he wasn't the first, but he, I mean, there's other actors that have played Bond. Uh, Barry Nelson was the first one to do it on a TV show. And then Barry's no longer with us. Uh, and David Niven played him in Casino Royale, that right. comedy. But that's, you know, I mean, that's all like, that's not the official Bond that everybody really remembers uh, as far as the main players of Bond, you know? And so he's the first, he's the first one, uh, of the Bond franchise to pass. And it's kind of like when we lost the first, you know, Star Trek actor or when we first lost the first, you know, um, Star Wars actor, you know, that's, that's always sad. Cause it's like, okay, this is, it, it's, it brings it all home. Like, Oh, these people are mortal and we're going to lose a more of them. Um, which, you know, really sucks, but well, and that, um, that's what it is, is, Oh gosh, this is happening. My, the, these pieces of my life yes. are crumbling away. Yeah, because I'm, you're I'm getting I mean, older. That's, that's one of the heaviest things in the world is is as you age, looking around and seeing your own mortality reflected back at you in things like actors passing or people that you know getting visibly older. Like that's all a mirror, and it's it's tough. Yeah, and not to make it about you know us as opposed to Roger Moore, but oh, this is uh, about us, Mike Gordon. <laughs> of course, <laughs> um, oh, that's right. Who show am I on again? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> um, but you're right. It is kind of just, you know, it, it makes you realize your own mortality and your, how old you're getting. I mean, I, I was, uh, when it happened on the day that it happened, I found out I was at my day job and which is not pleasant to begin with. And then to get bad news like that, it's like, Ooh, you know, that's, uh, you know, that doesn't make it any easier. Yeah. There was not anybody really around me that I knew shared my love for bond or, or that, but I did, um, I overheard two girls uh, in cubicles near me, and uh, one of them, I guess, had just seen the news story that, and they were significantly younger than I am. Um, not young enough that I could be their father, but maybe statistically, maybe like numer- like if you figured out, like, oh wow, he was an early guy, um, right, right, maybe, but just there, right at that line. So, um, so yeah, they were talking amongst themselves. Like one girl says, "Oh, 
uh, a guy playing James Bond died, and the other girl was like, "James Bond? You mean you mean Daniel Craig? Right? No, no, the other one." And she's like, "Pierce Brosnan? No, no, he played him like oh I guess he played, I guess he played him earlier than that." And they're like, "Who played James Bond he, earlier than that? He played him forty years ago." <laughs> and and she's like. She's like, and she said, you know, Roger Moore, and she said, like, some of the stuff, and she's like, oh, and he wasn't even the first guy to play James Bond. And the other girl was like, really? And she's like, no, Sean Connery played James Bond. And the other girl goes, really? Sean Connery played James Bond, too? I can't picture that at all. And I just put my head on my desk, and I was like, oh, man. Dude. Like, that's just not in my, I mean, I can't even... I can't even relate at well, all to that. That goes to, and, and I have a very similar work situation to that. I came in to work, uh, a night shift on the day that he passed, knowing that I wouldn't have anybody to talk about it with. It didn't come up the whole shift, uh, e- even with people right around my age. And this goes back to something that Ryan Cadaver and I have discussed quite a few times is that the general public doesn't live the same lives that we live right. as nerds or, or whatever you want to call us, geeks, whatever, in that, you know, oh, there's a there's a Wonder Woman movie coming out <laughs> right. from, from that old TV show? Like, that's a legit response that oh, yeah. your standard citizen gives to things. They, they don't know all of the actors that have played Batman or James Bond, and, and they don't care. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Because absolutely. they because they have golf. <laughs> or something, yes. Right, or something right. else. Right. They have yes, I I don't know because uh I, I yeah, I don't hang with those people obviously. But right. yeah, I do think that sometimes we you know, and because we're on the internet and because we have hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, whatever we have as far as friends, right? And right. interactions that we have. Yeah. It's still in that very small circle. Oh, we're and still we get, in a bubble. We, we think that, oh, everybody knows, yeah. you know, yeah. who played James Bond and when and all that. And the truth of the matter is, is that there's a lot of people that don't. And, and the majority, I would say, of people don't. And, and, and they might know the current one, but, you know, you ask them to go back a few years. So, yeah, I think it's important to – and I also think it's important to, to, uh, to acknowledge – Roger Moore as his run on James Bond because it was significant and it was my first. And I'm pretty sure, uh, I think you've uh, expressed similar things. We'll talk about that a little bit. I'm sure in more detail, but also the fact that I feel like even by now, the people who are in our circles, Moore gets kind of a shaft. Like he gets kind of like, you know, cause everybody goes, who's your James Bond? And it's Connery, right? Like Connery, Connery, Connery. Everybody says Connery. And look, I might say that too, <laughs> but I do not in any one way want to diminish what Roger Moore did uh, during his run because in my eyes, especially growing up and being the first actor to play Bond that I was experienced, it, it was it was so impactful and I fell in love with that franchise because of Roger Moore. Yes, yes. So, so even though he may not be the best – uh, he did his job, and he did it really well. Well, intellectually, I recognize that because I now you know now I've read some of Ian or Ian or whatever it is Fleming's actual Bond books, right? And I recognize that that 
Daniel Craig, uh, even Sean Connery is not as close to Bond the way that Fleming wrote him. Yeah. Uh, he, he's, he's quippier and more likable. Well, but, I, the books are brutal. Like he's no, a, that's what I'm saying is Connery yeah. was quick. Oh, right, 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 right. And yeah. like, because, you know, compared, <laughs> I don't think the public at large would stand for a not, bond. That's not in nowadays. No, 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 um, not nowadays, no, no. But, uh, no, I remember seeing Moonraker in the theater. I, I believe I was like three years old because it was 79, I think. Uh, and my mom, you know, it's funny. I talk and th- this has kind of made me think about this some. Uh, over the years of podcasting, I've mentioned a few times, how, or, or, or on the website, uh, needlessthingsite.com, which I have to plug on my own show, I guess. Uh, Why not? But I've mentioned my parents not being, you know, dorky at all. But putting it in perspective, compared to these people who don't know the Batman's or the Bonds or whatever, I mean, my parents do. And my mom is the one that took me to all of these movies when I was a kid to to see you know, Superman and, and Moonraker and Temple of Doom. Like she took me to all of the movies and we were actually discussing the other day. And, and I haven't talked to her yet about Roger Moore. She loved, she was in love with Roger Moore. Um, and, and I think a part of that was that, uh, my, and this is going to sound odd with the way that I just phrased that, but my grandfather, her father, had a resemblance to Roger Moore to the point where when I was a little kid, I thought my papa was in the James Bond movies. <laughs> wow. A very, very similar, uh, looking, I'll, I'll show you a picture sometime and, and you'll be like, I, I see that. But, uh, so there was always a very close connection there, but you know, she took, she, she knows all the bonds. She could tell you who they all are. She could tell you who all the Batmans are. So this is making me realize like, you know, on my personal scale, no, maybe my parents aren't all that geeky, but on like a worldwide scale, yeah, they, they kind of are. And I'm kind of lucky for that because I probably wouldn't have, have gone as far afield as I have. But, but just to bring it back to Roger Moore, uh, Moonraker, Jaws was to me, cause people talk about being scared by Darth Vader as a kid. And I don't really ever remember being scared of Darth Vader that much. Like maybe, maybe a little, but I, like I had a figure of him, you know, like it wasn't, uh, I don't know. I just don't remember a fear of Darth Vader necessarily, but Jaws, I was terrified of, uh, to the point where when he showed up in Happy Gilmore, it made me nervous. <laughs> wow. Uh, but I, that, that was my, my first experience with James Bond and with Roger Moore, was Moonraker, which a lot of people will poo-poo that movie. But, I mean, I love it. I, I feel like, and this is I'm, where my kind of elitist nature comes in, I feel like people that that talk poorly about Roger Moore and about his run of James Bond movies just don't get it. I, uh, Yeah, I mean, that, that could be. I mean, there's obviously, I think people who don't like them, uh, there's the comparison, you know, and and... You know, each when you look at the 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 franchise that's been around for more than fifty years, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's when you look at the the movies as uh, individually, um, you can kind of tell how each Bond represents a decade 
of what was going on at the time. Yes. So while, I mean, while you can argue that Connery might be the best overall, the last couple of Connery ones that you look at, you could tell they were kind of going in the direction of more, but Connery is not Roger Moore. For sure, because so, diamonds, diamonds are forever. Doesn't really fit Connery. No, that well. it I doesn't. would argue that it's almost a better Moore movie. Like yes. if Roger Moore was in that one, he would be better than than Connery in that one. Um, just like the last few Roger Moore ones don't hold up as well. I mean, because they you could just tell they were. Don't you say bad things about a view to a kill, Mike Gordon? <laughs> well, we we might get there. Ugh. Um, uh, um, but you know, it's just a matter of you know that decade or that time period, that era mm-hmm. is coming to an end and somebody new needs to take the torch and, and run with it. And I think they've done a pretty decent job overall at finding the right guy at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be curious to see what's going to happen now uh, with uh, them being at another crossroads. Um, well, I maybe um, I very badly want a final chapter of Daniel Craig and uh, crazy German guy, come on, Blofeld. help me out. Hmm? Blofeld. Are you Blofeld. talking about? Oh, Blo- you well, talking about the actor? I was talking. I was talking about the actor, but yes. Uh, I I want. Oh wait, no, he was wait. Ernst Blofeld. Yeah. Chris Christoph Waltz. Thank you. Yes, yes. I was getting there. Yep. I want. Sure. I feel like. The way that Spectre ended, and I'm still shocked by people who didn't like Spectre, because I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I feel like there's one more chapter to that story. With I'd, I'd be on board with that. The the two of them, and whether they can get Mendez back or not. Uh, I, I really badly want at least one more of those, because I felt like everything came together with Spectre. Because the, Daniel Craig's run has had its, its up to, ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say more ups for me personally, but I felt like it really all came together with Spectre and Spectre almost felt like a starting point. Like, okay, now almost now we almost get to a Roger Moore type era where it can be a little more fun. We've got the ultimate bad guy. We've got the ultimate gentleman spy. And now they really get to square off because Spectre was more about revealing Christoph Waltz's hand and everything that had happened up till now. But they really didn't get that ultimate face-off. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And now this is derailed into a modern Bond podcast. We need to we need to change gears, <laughs> get back on topic. <laughs> right. So, and, well... And talk right, about... So, well, here, here's, here's, my, here's my return. Okay. And talk about how Roger Moore managed to not only be a very uh, representative of the 70s James Bond, but transition fairly well into the 80s as far as sort of embodying the decade. And, and 85 was his was A View to a Kill. That was his last one. But I feel like he works for the early part of the 80s just as well as he does in the 70s. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's a great transition. Um, I think... Uh, to answer your original question to me, which I believe was something like, you know, what was my first uh, acknowledgement or experience with Roger Moore? And it was with James Bond. I mean, I know he's done some stuff prior to that. 
but I'm not really as familiar with his early work. I've seen a few things here and there. Um, like you, I'm not as familiar with the saint. So it's one of those things I'd love to spend time with and, and watch. Cause I bet I would love it. Uh, but I just, ha- it just hasn't happened. It just hasn't. Cause that's a, I mean, he was on that show for quite some time. Well, here's, and, here's uh, what I think because we and ta- it got we- him the bond gig, of course. Exactly. Well, and that's, uh, what I what I think is the Saint just has not been put into syndication the way that other shows of that era have because I've had opportunities to watch Get Smart and I Spy yes. and yeah. Man from Uncle and Avengers and, and right. name any show from like the <laughs> late '60s and I've seen at least a few episodes but I don't feel like in my lifetime I can really remember the Saint being particularly prominent in the way that the other shows have. I, I man, I the prisoner was on when I was a kid. I saw that. <laughs> and I had seen the same. Um so uh yeah, so I'd love to do that. Um I really would. Um and, and you know, especially now that he's gone it would be bittersweet, but it would still I think be a nice tribute. Um but so my introduction, and I don't think I'd ever seen a James Bond movie prior to my first experience with Roger Moore. Now, my first Bond movie was not in the cinema. My first, so my first Roger Moore movie was not in the cinema. Um, ABC had this wonderful thing where they did on Sundays, they would show Bond movies. I don't know. It felt like monthly, but it was probably quarterly or something. But, uh, certainly I always, uh, was into that. Um, and, uh, they were made like, you know, into four hour events because they had ads. Um, so you had to stay up pretty late to catch oh, the end. Oh my gosh, um, that's right. Cause it alternated. It was one of the special things they did, like, uh, wonderful, wonderful world of Disney. Like it well, was a Sunday night event type right. thing. Disney would be on in the, in like at seven and then. The, the Sunday ABC Sunday movie would okay, be on okay. at not eight or nine or okay. whatever. Usually for Bond, because they were a little bit more serious about their you know family programming back then. Sure. So I would have been surprised if Bond started at eight. Uh, it might have, um, but um, because I do know that they went over like almost to midnight, if not later, because they they were just these some of these are really long movies. So that's how I first got ex- exposed to them. Um, I, I don't know which one was my first one. Um, but I do remember really, really liking, uh, Live and Let Die and Spy Who Loved Me both equally. And I, I'm pretty sure one of the two of those was my first, uh, exposure to James Bond and Roger Moore there too. And, and, and I think both of them, I mean, both of them are great movies and they're two of my favorite Bond movies to this day. It's interesting because I remember, uh, I saw all four, the, the, his last four Bond movies I saw in the theater. And I, Moonraker is more of a, I remember Jaws and that's kind of it. But for your eyes only, Octopussy and View to a Kill, I it's remember. There for, yeah, for your eyes only was the first one I saw in the theater. Okay. And then that's, I remember them very clearly because I, I remember for your eyes only, uh, some of the like sexy bathing suit stuff feeling a little weird about i remember for <laughs> octopus yeah. probably like when i saw spy love me and i you know bob or Bach, Ooh, yeah yes yes right at that age i was like wow <laughs> and uh octopussy by the time that came out i was old enough that the title 
like I was aware enough that the title made me uncomfortable. And then A View to a Kill uh, in 1985, so I was nine years old. So Grace Jones in that was utterly confusing to me. Uh, just, it, it, it's funny, I have those four movies I have such a, a visceral attachment to. Mm-hmm. And then when I would go back and watch his first three, Live and Let Die, Man with a Golden Gun, and Spy Who Loved Me, I initially found Live and Let Die and The Spy Who Loved Me super boring. Mm. Uh, now I don't anymore, but when I was younger, cause I pro, I was probably right around 12, 13, 14 where I, you know, we started being able to rent movies and, uh, it became easier to watch things on demand, so to speak. So that was when I started going back and watching the other, like seeking out the other right. ones. Yeah, yeah. But the man with the golden gun, I immediately loved, uh, partly because Christopher Lee, I already knew from the horror movie nights with my grandmother. Gotcha. Uh, my, my mom's mom, as a matter of fact, to, to bring that even closer into the family relation. Um, so my, my Dracula was now fighting James Bond. <laughs> that was incredible. But to this day, you know, not only on that emotional level, but intellectually as a movie fan, I feel like that, I mean, that's still my favorite Bond movie and I still feel like it's a, it's an excellent Bond movie. Uh, one, one of my favorite stories out of them all. And then when I went even further back and started watching Sean Connery's initially, I found him even more boring than live and let die and the spy who loved me. <laughs> and you know, now I'm older and I get it and I love Connery's bond. But when I was a kid, I was like, he's not fun at all. He barely has any gadgets. Yeah, he, yeah. he, he doesn't like, he doesn't have, he's not smooth like <laughs> more. He, he's strangling that woman with her bra. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> like, you know what? what? James Bond doesn't do that. You know, she she had it coming. What are you going to do? Uh, but uh, but but yeah. The, I mean, just Roger Moore made such an impact on me uh, and what my idea of cool was. Not just cool, because when I was growing up, Fonzie was cool, right? I mean, that was. That was the epitome of cool, sure, you know, sure. guy, T-shirt, leather jacket, getting chicks, you know, I mean, hey, you know, having the way and smooth talking to an extent, um, fixing cars and, you know, that like that was cool. You know, then there was a, there was a whole bunch of other uh, sort of testosterone filled uh, action heroes on TV like Lee Majors and in movies as well. Uh, but what I liked about Roger Moore and what attracted me to, I mean, I had a, um, obviously I think it had something to do with, uh, my, my developing love for things British, uh, because that was, that started around, I don't know, early, the late seventies as well. And so the, the James Bond thing I would have been naturally, uh, attuned to, but I can remember enjoying, uh, when I was younger, I can remember enjoying a show called, uh, The Ghost of Mrs. Muir, which I saw in syndication. And in it, uh, uh Edward Mulhair, plays uh, this uh, ghost, this captain that uh, uh, Hope Lang, uh, Mrs. Muir, in- interacts with all the time. And it was a sitcom. It, you know, I, some people remember it. Some people don't. It's based on a movie, uh, a movie that came out. It was pretty popular with um, Gene Tierney and Rex Harrison. But 
Um, so Edward Mulher took over the Rex Harrison role, but like, and you know, if if anybody knows classic cinema, classic British cinema, um, or any of these names, I think you'll see that if you take someone like Rex Harrison or Edward Mulher and you 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 know craft them younger, a younger version of them, that that chiseled, smooth, like upper crust Brit that's kind of like got it all together and and is is just smooth like he's smooth and charming mm-hmm. um i you know i don't know if i would ever call roger more cool but he was just so charming oh see um, I, to me he was cool i, I get I, what you're saying i like that when i was a kid i and you mentioned the testosterone laden guys and uh you know i i believe me i understand that but i liked the to me, the like suave talkers were the yes. cool guy, like Dirk, yes. ben, like Dirk Benedict. Right. I right. always lo- like when he was face on a team. Like I didn't, I didn't. Yeah, you know, everybody loved Mr. T for sure. I'm not going to say I didn't. I thought Mr. T and was Murdoch super cool. was crazy. But yeah, yes. Uh, <laughs> but to me, face was the guy. Yeah. Like I loved those guys, those suave, smooth talkers. Uh, Dan on Night Court was another one. Gotcha. That was that like I, I I that and I, I maybe this is a post I need to write uh, the 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 sexist males that influenced me, <laughs> <laughs> which maybe uh, explains yeah. a lot. But yeah, uh, there, was, there was there was certainly a uh, you know I mean granted I mean it was still the uh, I mean women's lib was happening in the late seventies and then the eighties sort of you know was a response to that too. But yeah, I mean, well, but, that, but all of these characters we're constantly getting their comeuppance. It's not like they just right. got away. Well, I guess Roger Moore probably did in the Bond movies, but but most of these other type of characters, they didn't just get away with being uh these womanizing guys. They were all they were constantly getting uh, usurped by the the smart woman. Right. But the guys that you're mentioning too are kind of like the Harrison Ford uh Han Solo like lovable rogues kind yes. of thing. Like yes. they're th- that's what I I would I would put in that category, which I love those guys too. I mean, I always a, was a, a big uh, growing up I was a bigger Starbucks fan than Apollo, right? Cuz mm-hmm. he just he was cool. Yeah. Um and there is a coolness to Roger Moore. I, I but he's you know, I I know that James Bond traditionally written, the way he's written and I understand the way Connery played him as well. He's a guy that um, came up from a rough upbringing. He wasn't part of the upper class. And in Britain, it's very much class. Oh, yes. It's all about class. Yes, it still yes. is to this day. So, you know, um, Roger Moore it, it played a different class of James Bond than what we'd seen prior. Yeah. Uh, either read in the books or seen with uh, Sean Connery. So for a lot of people, it was probably a really big surprise. Well, uh, and because- what's interesting, though, is Moore's life was, I mean, he, he his parents were, uh, his dad was a police officer and his mom, mm-hmm. I can't remember what it was, but like he did come from that upbringing. He developed his mannerisms in school. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. What we would call private school, but they would right. call public school I think, or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's all confusing. Yeah. It is um, very confusing. The difference. <laughs> they use pounds and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but metrics, uh, but yeah. Kilometers. So, so when I'm watching Roger Moore and, and for a kid, it's, it's way better too, because it's, you're right. It's fun. It's accessible. There's, there's something charming about him. Yes. He's, 
he's beating up bad guys and he can fight and he can he'll kill when necessary. And yes, he's he's, you know, uh playing loose with the women. Um so there's all that, but yet there's sort of a a, a wink uh that he gives not not directly to the camera. He doesn't quite break although one I think there's on a couple of occasions in James Bond movies where he does actually break he, the fourth wall. Yeah, he speaks to the camera at least once and I can't remember right now yeah. what it is. Yeah. And then so much so that um and to use another one of his uh more famous roles, at least in America, uh when he did a parody of Bond in the Cannonball Run movie. Yes. He, it was almost like too close. Like he didn't really have to go that far, you know, to play well, a parody. Well, he put the character he played had had plastic surgery to make himself <laughs> look like Roger Moore. <laughs> yes. Which is not the first time that's happened in a, uh, in a movie either. Um, uh, right, right. So, um, well, and he uh, did, he, he was always very, uh, you know what? I think that's part of what makes him so lovable. Uh, and, and I don't want to compare and contrast because everybody has their virtues and, and whatever. Uh, but, you know, Connery is, is distant. But Moore always felt like he never took himself too seriously. He was always very engaged with everything. He, he did play several roles where he, I mean, he played the, uh, the, the head of the Secret Service or whatever it was in the Spice Girls movie. Like he, <laughs> He, he was always ready to have a laugh at his own expense. And, and look, back in the day, you know, we talk about now people look back and, and kind of, uh, don't appreciate his Bond movies. But even back in the day, uh, you know, people were pretty brutal to him. He, he was not universally accepted as Bond even, even back then. Yeah. People would I talk can believe about, that. people would talk about him, him not being a good actor. Uh, and just there, cause he, he had his seven year run on the saint that basically established him. Like that was his big thing. He had done work before that, but the saint was his thing because it, uh, typically if you ask anybody about Roger Moore, they're going to say James Bond. And if they know anything else about him, the saint is the other thing. Yes. Uh, but then he went on and a, a, a word to our listeners I read about this today. I was not aware of this. This is not knowledge I possessed, but I actually did a little bit of research. And I'm only bringing it up because I feel like it's such an interesting component of his story. Uh, he, after The Saint, went on to do a show called The Persuaders with Tony Curtis. And it was about two guys who go over to Europe. And it, it almost sounds like it was kind of like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels a little bit. Mm. Uh, it did not do well in America, but he made a million dollars for the one season of that show, which at the time made him the highest paid television actor in the world. So think about what that would mean in today's terms. Cause he's, he's just come off a seven year run of an extremely popular and successful show. He gets and, paid a million dollars for one season of another show and and what i read about this show is that tony curtis uh was kind of a problem child and that roger moore was always willing to work overtime always way into the show always on board like very present and from from interviews and from his general persona how you would expect roger moore to be 
and that there was a lot of friction on the set because the two did not get along very well. But that that was just an interesting part of the story to me. The big deal here is that he goes from that to basically stepping into Sean Connery's shoes because he had been like waiting to take the James Bond role until Sean Connery said for sure he wasn't going to do it anymore. It wasn't a matter of, you know, of, uh, well, Connery is done. Now we have to look for somebody to do it. Like Roger Moore had been the guy. Like it was, he was like a prince waiting to be crowned essentially. Right. Right. And, and when once, once Connery did, uh, diamonds are forever and said, no, no, I'm done. That's it. Uh, Moore said, all right, hand me my crown. Which I, it, it, I love, I love the idea that, because he had a very hard time of it early in his career. Uh, he had a lot of things that didn't work. He had to deal with MGM where they signed him to do movies and released him from it because all the movies ended up flopping. Uh, you know, he, he seemed destined, if not to fail, then certainly to be a B-lister. And this was at a time when, uh, movie acting and TV acting was not near as interchangeable as it is now. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, there were certain people that, you know, they might've started in TV, but once they got to movies, that was it. They did not come back. Yeah, and if they did, it was kind of like a, uh, they were, yeah, I was seen as like, <laughs> you're on your way down. If, if they came back, it was on Carson or Letterman. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it wouldn't even it wouldn't even have been on Letterman. It would have been on Carson. That was it. Yeah, it was like, even, yeah. yeah. Sh- when, when did Carson start? Uh, Late sixties. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, we might even be talking like Ed, I don't know. Ed Sullivan didn't do the same kind of thing. Was was Carson the first like talk show as we know it guy? No, it was the Tonight Show was hosted by Jack Parr before that. Oh, okay, okay. And and that's he kind of started that format, or at least excelled it to a set. But then Carson ran with it. Hey, right, right. Carson made it into be like a lot. What? Excuse but, me, a lot. How we know it now. But. but these guys came back for talk shows. They did not come back to to do right. guest spots or or, or star. Well, I mean, occasionally, shows. like you said. I mean, like like Tony Curtis was a big movie actor. Yeah. And then he's doing TV, and guess what? He's being an ass about it because he doesn't take it seriously. Right, right. Um, you know, that's what most of, you know, it was a big, there's a big chasm there uh, between TV and movies. It's it's totally not that way now. But, boy, back I can remember back in the day where you had TV actors and you had movie actors. Yes. And there yes. was very few that bounced around. So, so yeah, it's it's difficult. Now I don't know if that that line was as as much in the sand over in Britain, uh, but certainly you know I'm sure in the states Roger Moore had to had to battle that. You know that's uh, an interesting point because the the whole system is entirely different over there. You know the yeah. you have the BBC which is government run, so it's uh, it's almost like here's your job now. Like I mean, it's not really casting and it's not really. I wonder what the state of that was because I, I I believe you had big British stars still doing things like Hamlet for the BBC on Saturday night. I I, I think it was less so. I mean, it's a small island, so you have, 
you know, limited number of actors. <laughs> they just don't, they uh, only have so many people over there. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, <laughs> oh, well, like, you're going to have to do this TV show. Um, right, right. But, and I do know also from my, you know, knowledge of behind the scenes stuff with Bond that, you know, the, the Broccoli's who are in charge of the Bond franchise, uh, uh, um, and, I think when more was up, there was a, there was an, um, uh, it was broccoli and then the, the other guy, and I can't think of his name right now. God, Bond fans out there are going to shoot me, but, uh, they'll be like, we're done listening to this. These guys don't know shit. <laughs> if, um, the, if they're needless things podcast listeners, they're used to us not knowing shit. So it's okay. Where, where is Ryan the head of research when we need yeah, it? Seriously. Um, um, but anyway, so, uh, but I mean, the broccoli, a broccoli has been there since day one. So, yes. and they, they, so, so I use them as, as, uh, uh, as the template since I think we're talking about now more than, uh, than the original. But in any case, they wanted Roger Moore because he was successful playing the saint. They wanted Pierce Brosnan because he was successful at Remington Steel. Yes. They did not look at TV actors and say, no, we can't have that guy in a motion picture because he's a big TV actor. In fact, they were uh, the opposite. You know, They were thinking the opposite. They were like, no, these guys are a success. They play those kind of characters that we want uh, James Bond to be, so we want that guy as well. And even with Connery, Connery, I think before he was Bond, had a pretty good run as Robin Hood on TV. If oh, I'm really, I don't, I don't believe that's true. Huh. So, um, uh, if not, then I just made it up and it sounds really awesome. Uh, uh, yeah, I like it. I'll take it. And, uh, <laughs> so I, you know, I think that they, they looked at that as being a viable, you know, but certainly after that, you know, it's not like Roger Moore did a lot of TV afterwards. It's not like Connery did a lot of TV afterwards. I mean, they just, once they get up to that platform of movies and they are a bankable star, their agents are like, yeah, this guy doesn't do TV. Right, right. Well, so. and the the Bond fr- to to draw a wrestling comparison, which I know our listeners love when I do that. Uh, you know, the Bond franchise is almost like a title belt that's been curated really well, where <laughs> you you want your next champion to carry the belt. You know, the belt. Yes. People recognize the Bond name, but you've got to have a guy that can support it. You want people to be excited about what's happening next. And that's actually, that's why Daniel Craig, to me anyway, was such a surprise because the tradition of Bond, as you said, Sean Connery in whatever parallel universe you live in had played Robin Hood for years prior to his run as Bond. (laughs) Uh, You know, we have the Saint Roger Moore. Uh, We have Brosnan, as you said, Remington Steele. But, uh, Timothy Dalton, who was essentially the guy, if, if, if I'm correct about this, that, you know, they wanted Brosnan, but he couldn't get out of his TV deal. That's so right. Timothy Dalton got a few years. And I'm trying to remember now, I guess British television was more his thing at the time. Cause he had done Flash Gordon, obviously. We know that. Uh, well, he was where he was, was a he? Shakespearean actor. I is, mean, he is that was where he came from. Oh yeah, Timothy Dalton was huge, like on stage. Um, uh, and and I can uh, I've, yeah, I I wasn't there when it came out, but I mean, he did um, one of the f- earliest things that I've seen him in. Not that, like I said, that I that's not where I first saw him, but uh, was Lion in Winter with Catherine Hepburn and Peter O'Toole. And so he was. I mean, he was man. He was he was marked as a legitimate A-list star pretty early on. So he and, he was again, he was a big deal when he got cast as Bond. 
Yes. Uh, but it was the first time, really. I think that was the first time really a Shakespearean actor had been approached to do the part. And it was interesting um, because I think to to me, and, and this is a whole other episode that we'll do down the road, uh, to me, Dalton is actually the closest to Fleming's Bond. I believe that's true. Um, I, I believe that's true. And I... That's a whole different podcast. Yes, but I like Dalton. I like Dalton as Bond as well. I don't like some of the movies, but you know that's a different thing. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but okay. So more about Roger Moore. Um, what what would you say? Uh, you know, like we mentioned charm. Um, we mentioned sort of the uh, not whimsy, but the fact that um, he. I think he's perfect to introduce James Bond to kids. Oh yeah, like he's absolutely. perfect. Yeah, like, yeah, he's because he's kind of like he, he's so charming that as a kid you're kind of like, oh, that's a. I mean, you had the personal experience where you look like your grandpa. I mean, I was just like thinking, you know, he just looks like a a nice man, you know, a nice yeah. guy, um, a handsome, chiseled like guy that has his act together that. Um, is is not dirty in any way. Well, and, and he's either always he's always or, smiling. Eh, I mean, that's not always true. I mean, look. Well, no. He, I mean, in action scenes, up a and, lot. And in action scenes, he can get serious and everything. But his his resting expression is pleasant. I mean, you. I mean, obviously, you made the comparison, but at the time, like the late sixties, seventies, certainly in the eighties. You know, we've got, um, you know, guys like you said, Adam West and William Shatner um, and, and guys like that where they're, you know, they don't have a hair out of place. And, yeah. you know, Roger Moore kind of is like that. When you really watch some of his movies, though, you'll find out that, yes, there are hairs out of place at times. And he does get his, his, his butt whooped a few times. But yet, generally speaking, you know, he's, he's, you're always confident that he's going to come out on top. And sometimes literally. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> so, you know, but and, you know, some people would argue, well, that ruins the suspense of the movie. But to me, it just made it fun to watch. I mean, because yes. I I was wondering not so much, oh, he, is he going to die? Because I never thought James Bond ever was going to die. Right. Um, but I always thought, how is he going to get out of this? Yes. I mean, that's the real trick. Like, yes. How, you know, I mean, yes, he's got the gadgets and yes, he's got the girls and, but there's some, you know, there's a snake in his bathroom. What's he going to do? Oh man, he could just take an aerosol can and light it on fire. Like <laughs> I can do that at home. No, yeah. just- <laughs> uh, I, and, and you brought up Adam West. So I'm going to throw something out there that I've been sitting on for years. Uh, and I probably have mentioned it to you before, but I don't think I've discussed it in public. Because I was kind of like, man, I don't want anybody else to make this happen and it to not be mine. Uh, my, my dream art job, and I'm throwing this out there to the listeners, any artists, anybody that, that has any talent whatsoever, my dream artistic project is a picture of Adam West's Batman, Roger Moore's James Bond, and John Pertwee's Doctor. Nice. I, like, and in my head, Mark Maddox is doing it, but I can't afford Mark Maddox. So, <laughs> <laughs> any, any of our listeners that are artists that do artsy things that think that sounds like a cool idea, you guys get on that. And Mark Maddox, if you listen to this, uh, I can't afford you. 
have I have a I have a very small, beautiful uh picture from Mark Maddox that will be probably the only piece of original art I ever owned from him. I, I have worked with Mark, but there's uh I can't write that off though. I mean if I wanted to <laughs> you, know, so I, uh, you know. The comic because he's done covers for me in the yeah, past yeah. and uh he's my he's usually my go to cover guy, but yes, I can I can write those off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this I, I couldn't. This but it, right off it, for anyone. it is a perfect pairing in a lot of ways because there's a lot of similarities. I know that Adam West has talked about, you know, legitimately being approached to be James Bond at yes. some point. And with the Roger Moore era, you can kind of see that that would have, that could have happened. Although the fact that he's not British and the fact that he would take it a little bit more. Uh, make it a little bit more campy than Roger was. Roger just was good at walking that line. He, I mean, he edged up on camp, but never mm-hmm. crossed the line. But to to your Adam West uh, anecdote, I I have read that as well. And the story behind it is that the movies were successful, but they the the Broccoli's the producers whoever, whoever I guess was in charge of the franchise was afraid that they weren't doing as well as they could in America. And we're seriously interested in having an American play Bond to penetrate that market more, that because because at the, time, at the time, uh, America then was like China is now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so true. Oh man, there's something to think about. Uh, but yeah, more just has this, even though, and, and it's it's an interesting dichotomy because. He always felt very accessible to me, but at the same time, he does have that upper class together feel that you were talking about. Uh, like he's not, you don't feel like you could be him, but you feel like you could probably have a conversation with him. Maybe. I don't feel like he's a guy I could have a drink in a bar with or a pub, uh, because I just feel like he's a, like a class above me. Yeah. At least, at least his bond. But yet I don't feel that he would make me feel that way. Like if the yeah. circumstances were such, he would be very polite. Uh, we might even have a laugh or two, you know, a wink and a smile. And that would be about it, but not a permanent, like, you know, like, Hey, let's go to the pub. Like it just was, you know, like it wouldn't, it, he always like, cause he was something to almost to uh, like, like to strive to be. You know, yeah, like yeah. to dress like that, to to be that that way physically, like in some ways, I mean, you look at him and you're like, boy, if you're doing a sketch of like a perfect guy, like that's a pretty good. I mean, Roger Moore is a pretty good template. Yeah, the blue eyes, the the cleft chin, the the hair is perfect. Like he he really did that look. And if he's not you, overly it, muscly, but yeah, you yeah. Can, he's in shape. You know, he can run. And he you can know, wear a suit. I mean, the, that, he, oh man, the, the guy suit just he, well he, even even the like the early shots of the publicity shots of him as Bond. You know, he's got the frills on his on his shirt, mm-hmm. and you're like, wow, oh, Roger Moore can that can make that lot. I mean can make that he can not pull that gay. off yeah yeah i mean it doesn't look gay you know it's like he doesn't he's not looking like austin Powers. yeah he doesn't look sassy and ridiculous like he looks like a refined gentleman and and yeah i feel like if you were to meet him he would never let you know how little time he really had for you as opposed <laughs> to like connery would put a cigarette out on your forehead 
Dalton would pie face you. Uh, Brosnan would just, or Brosnan's bond would just be miserable to hang out with because he was very troubled. And, uh, Craig would just blow right by him. Yeah. Craig wouldn't even, he would be, he would be running. That guy is always running. That, that is the definition of his bond is running, which makes me nervous that the next bond we get is going to be even younger. And, uh, it's just going to run even more than like David Tennant. Uh, but yeah, there, there's just, I guess charm. When, when I think about Roger Moore, I just think charm and, and suave. Yes, yes, and and very just you know up like very classy British. He had, uh, in the in the best sense, not snooty, yeah. not like yeah, yeah. you know in a way that made me feel like oh you know you know burn all the royals. Uh, uh, just in a way that a manner that I I appreciated and I liked. You know, I, he spoke very well, very classy, um, and and yeah, very seemed very clean. Always seemed like I mean. <laughs> I can only imagine, but I bet he smelled amazing. Uh, you know, like he always had that cologne that you're probably like, damn, like, I, you know, I bet it wouldn't even have been cologne. I bet it was just a fancy aftershave, <laughs> not even cologne. Yeah, right, right. You probably just, yes. I feel like we're getting weird now. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> so back off that a little so bit. So after, uh, uh just to run down his Bond movies real quick, because I, I, sure. I do, do want to hit on each one before we wrap this thing up. Uh, Live and Let Die was his first Bond movie. And to, to me, in my head, it's the voodoo one. Like, yeah, that's obviously. how I think of it. Yep. And you've, you've got the, the crazy southern guy. It's, I mean, it's Bond in the wild American South. The the fact that it's more though rather than Connery makes it so much uh, more amusing. Yes, because, because Connery because Connery in in Black Harlem, or or mixing it up in in you know New Orleans would look sort of out of place. But Roger Moore just stands out like a sore thumb. When, when I mean, he goes just, into the soul food restaurant, <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> just like yeah. <laughs> If you if just, you were to look up honky in the Urban Dictionary, <laughs> it would be Roger Moore in yes. the soul food restaurant. Yes. The only <laughs> way he could be more white is if he went to the bar and asked for a a white sandwich with lots of mayo. <laughs> Can I get some shepherd's pie? <laughs> Can I get some white toast and some mayo, please? And a Shirley uh, Temple. A <laughs> temple. Well, just asking for a you know vodka martini well, yeah, shake even, and not stirred would have been enough. You're right. You know? You're right. Even his regular drink would have. But would have uh, job. but he looked good, and you know it was action packed. Uh, and like I said, I thought you know when I I love that movie. Uh, I, I think it's a very different take on on Bond, and it's, uh, a, it's a jarring. Well, it, I it's, love. Uh, the environment is a big part of why it, it feels so different is that it is uh, very culturally charged and is something that, like you said, Sean Connery would not have sold it in the same way that no. Roger Moore did. I'm not saying it wouldn't have been brilliant because it might have been. Sure. But just Moore in there, I mean, he's just – he's always standing up straight. He doesn't slouch. He's 
you know, he's he's just got that um he, no matter what happens to him, he's got that level of confidence and and class about him that you're just like, wow. I mean, look, I mean, you can beat the crap out of him and yet he still is standing tall, you know. Yeah. Um and yeah, I thought he was like I said, I don't know if that was my first one. Um, or a spy love me, but one of those two, and 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 in either case, they they're I just think they're really good. They're written well. The bad guys are good. The henchmen are amazing. Uh, Baron, the- Baron Samedi is another one that, even though I saw this one a little later, uh, super creeped me out. The uh, the girls are fantastically beautiful. Um, like yeah, both of those Bond movies to me have everything I want in a Bond that, movie. That movie taught me about Afro kittens. <laughs> now I know. Uh, the Man with the Golden Gun, like I said before, my far and away my favorite Bond movie. Uh, j- j- to me, it's almost like the ultimate pinnacle of dorky obsessions. Because, like I said, Christopher Lee and Roger Moore at odds is just like, that's a dream match. Yeah. That scene where they're at the table is oh great. My gosh. It's and, one of those like, Ooh, you just love to see these two personas in a room together. And, and it's not even, you know, there's so many times where the movie is totally based on these big personalities being in it. And maybe it's not actually as great a movie as it could be. And I'm trying to remember there, there was, I was so terribly disappointed by I think it was Heat that had I was going to say I I was just about to say I bet you're thinking of Heat. Oh my gosh. That has Pacino and what? and and De Niro. Uh, De Niro. What a terrible disappointment because the you know it's it's an okay movie but I feel like they really leaned on those two being in it. Yeah, Whereas, there's a scene where they're together for 5 uh, seconds in, in the restaurant and you're like this is awesome and then the rest doesn't doesn't uh, no, make it earn it, it. it doesn't hold up at all whereas man with the golden gun is here's this awesome story we have and oh by the way you know kapow look at these guys i i, I love it man i just absolutely love it as a matter of fact we'll we'll have to do that for a, a needless commentary at some point i think it also should be said too um and we talked a little bit about this i think prior to recording but uh roger moore was older than Sean Connery. Yes. And, and in fact, he was older when he got the, the, the job of Bond than Connery was when he got the job. I think he was 45. Moore was 45. He's still to this day is the oldest actor to have played Bond, uh, at least to start off with. Right, right. And, and I mean, that's, you know, he was 58 when he retired. Um, and that's like, I mean, Look, I'm a little bit older than 45 now. <laughs> like so um and so I'm thinking, wow, like that's a pretty late time in your life to all of a sudden be like, I'm on top of the world. Well, you and know? see, I think and again, to go back to the people who who maybe, you know, said some negative things about his acting or whatever, I mean, that says a whole lot about your charm and your presence that at 45 years old you stepped into this franchise and kept it going for for that long for yeah. for 13 years i mean yeah. man that well, that's that's something and yeah by the end people were were saying they were, that he was a little long in the tooth and and sure you know he but a view to a kill uh i do love i i love the story of it 
Uh, it, yes, it is another real estate story. Uh, Hollywood <laughs> just can't make enough of those. But it, you know, I love it. You have once again, you have Christopher Walken now facing right. off against Roger Moore, which is another big geek thing. And uh, but we'll we'll uh, we'll come back around to Due to a Kill to, to finish this thing up. Uh, yeah, the Spy yeah. Who Loved Me is. Uh. Just so huge. It's See? to me in scale, it's like the biggest of the Bond movies. I mean, you've got you've got this uh, headquarters on, on uh, like that's underwater that then arises from the sea, and just great model work. You've got um, the the Lotus instead of the Aston Martin. Yes, the, which the underwater submarine Lotus. Oh, beautiful! Dude, one beautiful. of the coolest things. And I think did, what, didn't they use the like they used the same gimmick in Cannonball Run, right? I think so. I yeah, think that's yeah. the car he was driving, or an approximation of it, anyway. Well, he was driving the Aston Martin in in one of the in Cannonball Run, so I don't know if he oh, actually maybe ended it was up... the second one then that he had maybe. the the Lotus because I I remember that. I haven't seen those movies in years, so um, this this may be stuff. this may be another Robin Hood thing. <laughs> great stuff. Where uh, I, I I love that. I love the plot. I love the the locales, whether it's Egypt or I love the bad guy. Of course, as you mentioned, the 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 hen, uh, the main you know uh, stooge villain or whatever Jaws uh, is probably the you know is runner up, either the first or the second. Best one ever in Bond history, right? Well, and for sure, it's usually the one between that, him and Odd Job, right? And well, and I think, uh, yeah, who would it? I wonder who it would be. Like, if we did a poll to the general public, you know, what what name name a Bond villain? Yeah. It's either him or Odd Job that I bet like non cinephile nerd type people because I like you think Goldfinger or or but that's us. Yeah, as far and Jaws as, was in. Two movies, so that Moonraker, gives him an edge. Yeah, Moonraker and Spy Who Loved Me. So, um, but and I just, you know, I really, I really dug it. And, and Barbara uh, Bach. You know, oh man, I, I can't. Uh, I uh, I recently rewatched Spy Who Loved Me um, a few months ago, and uh, man, it's still. I think it still holds up. It gets better with age. Um, and I just remembered while I was watching it, why I fell in love with it. It's, it's, it's high up on my bond movies. It's just, it just is. I think it's got everything, got everything. And it is, you're right. It is epic because the, just the set pieces. Are oh yeah. About you gotta have as, a, a base that's going to hold three, three huge nuclear submarines. Well, and just the, the different, you know, Egypt, Italy, um, the Bahamas, the, I mean, the, the world travel in this one is about as varied as it gets, mm-hmm. they, they got really big, and I, my assumption is that this one, uh, yeah, Moonraker is next, which is obviously the intent is for it to be super epic and also Star Wars, but I feel like the Spy Who Loved Me benefited from the success of the prior two movies. I, like, I believe that. I, I feel like they really went for it, you know. No, I agree, and I think uh, I think it was it was worthy of it. I don't. I, I think ever since then, well, yeah, you're right. With Moonraker, they kind of went even. They tried to go even further with it, and ever since then, they've they've not dared to do that again. <laughs> like, yeah, which, like, they haven't even come close to no. being that epic. Uh, no, that that one is that that is the most out there of <laughs> uh, of Moonraker. All of them. Yeah, and and look, I enjoy Moonraker. 
I do too. Uh, I do too. I think the villain is great. Drax? Yeah. Oh yeah, Drax. Well, first of all, just Drax. Come on. Yeah. What a great name. Now, you know, now we have a pre-Guardians Drax. Right. We have a completely different association <laughs> for that name. Yeah. But at the time, that's like one of the most evil names that had ever been hatched. Sure, it's uh, one of the best, and he's got one of the best lines. I mean, it, it's right up there with Goldfinger's, you know, you expect me to, t- you know, no, no I, expect I expect you to, you to die. die, right? Like the the Drax's line of, you know, see to Mr. Bond, see that some harm comes to him. It's yes. just as classic, I think, probably right right up there in the top five. But uh, we get we get outer space shenanigans. and We do. And it's, it's not really as bad as it no, sounds. No, it's not. It Well, and the thing is, with the Star Wars program, with the, you know, th- at this point, this was 79. Yep. So the, the Cold War was essentially underway at this point. Uh, not, not the way that we would know it later in the 80s, but like tensions were getting up there. And space was seen, I really for the first time since Star Trek, I think, as sort of the next, I don't want to say battleground, but next level of competition. Yeah. And it, it just, for the era, Moonraker totally made sense. And, and also, you know, like I said, Star Wars. <laughs> and, and even though the last, uh, you know, the, the final battle with all these pew pew pews, you know, like, <laughs> like in space, outer space, it's, it's really, it's really not all that different than Thunderball's big battle underwater. No, no, it's not. And it's just as epic and, you know, it's just as insane. Um, but yet in space, you know, so, uh, <laughs> instead of underwater and, uh, and look, it's, you know, I think more is good. I think it does suffer from, you know, as much as I, 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 I like Holly Goodhead. Um, uh, you know, I think she's not as compelling as some of the other, uh, females, uh, that have, uh, been companions to Bond, sure. so to speak. Sure. Um, and uh and there's some other issues with it too. I don't think the story is as strong. And I do think it Moonraker also, despite the fact that it's in space, starts to get a little like then we really see it starting to get a little sillier. Well, and it does while I don't think Moore himself uh goes over the camp line, the no, movie the, does. The movie does for right. sure. The, some of the stuff that happens to Jaws is yeah, downright yeah. like cartoonish. Yeah. Um, and from almost the, uh, almost as bad as the, you know, like almost as bad as the birds, like, like whistling overhead when he gets knocked out. Not that like it happens, but it, you would almost think that it does because it's that cartoonish. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a step further than, uh, uh, two, was it two movies later? I think it's an octopusy where, uh, Bond meets up with his contact VJ and he's, he's the snake oh, charmer and he, the and he plays the Bond theme. Yeah. Like yeah. that's, I think that's as wacky as they get for the remainder <laughs> of, well, of the Well, I think no, there's one shot, there's one famous and I think it's in Moonraker where, uh, he escapes on a, I think it's in Venice, right? And he escapes on a, on a gondola thing yes. like, that comes out of the water. It's got wheels. It's yeah. kind of the reverse of, of the Lotus in Spy Who Loved Me. Right. And so he's riding around on this thing. He comes out of the water. He's riding around in it. And there's actually a pigeon that does a double take. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I that's think, pretty I bad. That's that's awful. That, like, yeah, that like, is... yeah, somebody at the Bond franchise should have just been like, okay, that, no. Well, no, and also no, the, whole, no. the whole scene plays out in an, an advanced frame rate. So it almost looks like <laughs> Benny Hill 
it's, that, that's that's a that's a low point in the Bond franchise. <laughs> nice to keep it British. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so it was obvious, and I think a lot of people felt that way out of the reaction of Moonraker. So um, you know, so I think it was it was a good response on their part to just strip it all down, so that when for your eyes only comes on, we get probably one of my favorite. Bond stories of any of the movies because it's so it's it's stripped down of all the specter and and, yes. and 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 shenanigans of spy stuff or whatever it's this sort of just intriguing thriller uh, that that James Bond finds himself um, in I mean I know that there's like a you know there's a computer and there's obviously some some government politics things at stake here but yet there's is, uh, it's it's definitely kept in realism uh, yeah, for the most part. I mean, there's that, you know, I think there's an audio cue that kind of makes me grimace when they're like, doo, 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 or whatever, when when uh, he's in the jalopy. When he's yeah, doing the but thing. overall, the, you're, you're right. They grounded the story. It's more of a traditional spy story. Yeah. And, and, and it feels more it feels more bondy than, than honestly the last couple. It actually feels like in this one we get to know certainly Roger Moore's Bond in a way that we haven't got to know James Bond since since uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, you get this sort of personal aspect to Bond that usually he's just a guy that's going through. He's just about the mission. He's getting the mission done, and he's kind of he's kind of just keeping everything at surface level. But in this one, you really get to hear you get to the sense that there's some real emotion, some gravitas with his. With his, I mean, you find out like there is a limit. Like he's not just gonna like. I mean, this this female skater who's really young throws herself at him, and he's like, "Nope, I draw the line there." You're like, "Wow, Bond has like morals." Yeah, and and there's another part where, uh, you know, he he is definitely against this woman going out and getting vengeance on her parents, and you know, he he specifically tells her like, if you're going to, you know. Uh, go out for revenge. You must first dig two graves. You know they use as a proverb. You know one for you know you, you're them and one for you. You know, and yet meanwhile he has no problem taking vengeance on some of the henchmen for some of the guys that they've killed. Well, like, but I think feels like that's his job to do that. Yes, like, and yes, to keep, and to keep that away from other people. And that's exactly right. We we get he doesn't seem hypocritical in doing that. Yeah, we get something that really is a first for the series as overtly as it's presented here we get bond the protector yeah which is part of his job but we haven't seen it this personal and direct before it starts off and i don't think even though it's kind of silly the way he gets rid of blofeld and it is blofeld uh, uh, yeah. even though they couldn't mention him in the beginning but the movie starts with him at his wife's grave how personal of a story does it is? You know right away that this is going to be a personal Bond story. Well, and it's interesting because I I never uh, that didn't click for me really until a couple of years ago when I watched On Her Majesty's uh, Secret Service for the first time. Yeah, yeah, and boy, is that a heavy movie! And it's really it, what's really interesting is that after when Connery comes back to do Diamonds Are Forever. The opening sequence where he's trying to find the people who killed his wife is pretty. That's that's when he that's when uh, Bond strangles the girl uh, yeah, with her yeah. 
you know, he's like, where is she? You know, I mean, you see him just go on a rampage and that kind of emotion was left out of more stuff for years yeah. until, until for your eyes only. And well, then they bring it in. And I think, I think a part of that was wanting Bond to be more poppy and more accessible, you know, probably to America. That yeah, could be. Let's, let's tone that down. Let's bring in this new exciting guy and, uh, you know, ha- have kind of a fresh start. I think it's also cool that at the time, and I'll just I'll just go off on a brief tangent, but at the time, too, more made about two or three movies in between Bond movies, around 79 to 80, that I think are, like, show that he had more of a range than just playing this James Bond character. He made uh, a movie called The Wild Geese. Uh, he made a movie called... Um, Folks, that's how I saw it. I think most, a lot of people in America was released as North Sea Hijack. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then he also did the Cannonball Run thing, which was just more well, parody. And, but, and Escape to Athena, which is gotcha. one that I, re- it's one of the few non-Bond things that I remember him from because the cast was crazy. I can't remember off the top of my head right now who all was in it. No, you're I, right. It was a was, big cast. It, when I was perusing it earlier today, yeah. As I was reading about it, I was like, holy shit, I've seen this movie. But I love, I love, uh, folks. Uh, yeah. 1980 or so, it was on the, the movie channel that we had at the time, the paid movie channel that showed it a lot. And I watched it constantly. And Moore plays this guy who's, yeah, I mean, he's just as capable as James Bond, this naval guy, but he's like, he's not Bond. I mean, you watch it and you're not thinking, oh, it's James Bond doing right, this. Right. No, no, it's, I mean, it, he's, He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. He's an ass to everybody. He's he's gruff. Uh, and the villain is Anthony Perkins, and the oh, two wow. of them uh, are just amazing. Interesting. I, I recently saw the movie, um, rewatched it at some point last year, and I wish it held up a little bit better than I thought it did at the time, but I love this movie. I mean, like I said, Anthony Perkins is great as the bad guy. It's fantastic. One of my favorite uh, parts that he did. Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, uh, more is great as well. So it showed a range there. Yeah. And that you're, you're right. That probably made a big difference in how they came back, uh, with, uh, three eyes only. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. And, Speaking and fortunately, of coming back, fortunately right? it was not a train full of Russian circus people like, <laughs> like the next movie. <laughs> How's that for a return and a segue? We're going to pause briefly for a word from uh, one of our lovely sponsors, and we will return to wrap up uh, the last couple of Roger Moore movies and this episode. Hey, Phantom Maniacs, this is the Rad Ranger. And this is Ryan Cadaver. And we're from Rad Ranger's Radical Radcast. With Ryan. Tune in every two weeks and hear a couple of jabronis talking about what's going on in the local Atlanta scene. What kind of stuff will we talk about, Ryan? Well, we like to talk about rad people doing rad stuff, Sean. We like to talk about horror. We like to talk about movies. We like to talk about art. We like to talk about music and pretty much anything cool going on locally or, you know, anywhere. Yeah, mostly we just talk about whatever we think is rad. And we hope that you think it's rad, too. So tune in every two weeks. Go to theradranger.com, search in iTunes and Stitcher for Rad Rangers Radical Radcast, or just search for Rad Ranger. That is the Rad Rangers Radical Radcast. With Ryan. Radcast. 
All right. Thank you for that word from our sponsors. Please support the people that support the Needless Things podcast. Uh, it is time to move on to the most dubiously named James Bond movie of them all, Octopussy. Yeah, I think only Roger Moore could be in a movie starring uh, Octopussy. I don't think uh, Connery or <laughs> Brosnan or anybody – or certainly Daniel Craig would have had any of that nonsense. I, I think you could even go so far as to say no other actor, period, could have been in a movie called Octopussy. <laughs> yeah, um, like Octopussy is what it is. I think uh, Octopussy's got it's, – it's not bad. It's actually got a good villain. Louis Jordan plays a good villain. Yes. Um, and, and the scenes with both of them are really good. That's the other thing. I mean, that's, Roger Moore has great chemistry with, uh, with, with his leading ladies. He's got great chemistry with, you know, the supporting players. I mean, just look at him with, uh, the JD Pepper stuff, uh, in the, the first oh two. Oh my that gosh, he did. I know. And, he, and he, uh, he handles, him so well but it's still such an awkward meeting clash of cultures he can play like he goes from playing the straight man in that in those scenes to when he's with q and he's the guy that's doing the cutting up yes and and q's the straight guy so he can do either way uh he can he can and and so octopus he's got great chemistry with uh obviously Maude adams has oh been in another gosh. uh she's in uh man with the golden gun and i think her- right army of hot incredible (laughs) circus women of course which Uh, which, honestly let's be honest the final scene of octopussy is way more over the top than the final scene of moonraker (laughs) (laughs) these crazy circus women in their in their superhero outfits (laughs) jumping out of hot air balloons with 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 q in a balloon Oh, he's so good. Oh, and Davis is uh, what a (laughs) gift he is. Um, but it's not. Yeah, it's it's not uh, the the high point certainly. But it you know it's but it's fun. It's fun, exactly. It's fun, and it was made. It came out the same year as Never Say Never Again. So it was the first year and only year that there's been you know a Connery and a Moore at the same time. Uh, Both, I think shows if you watch both you're kind of like oh i can see the plus and minuses to both these it's kind of like it's kind of like when a lead singer like when david lee roth leaves van halen and then you listen to van halen afterwards and you listen to david lee roth afterwards their albums separately and you're like yeah i like the two of them combined yeah and you see (laughs) yeah that's that's a very good comparison because you see sort of the extremes of both of them you're like yeah wow without Van Halen, David Lee Roth is a clown show lounge act. And without David Lee Roth, Van Halen is not it's, fun it's at not, all. It's not exactly. I, I, I agree. And, and you're right. It's very similar. I mean, Connery is, you know, he can come up with the one liners too, but that's not his, you know, no, I mean, that's, that's not that's, his that, thing. And, yeah, right. His, his thing is like getting down and dirty and, and, and being like a, a rough and tumbled bond, you and, know? And, and Never Say Never Again is, I mean, it doesn't even feel, and I know it's essentially a, it's, is it Thunderball? Yeah. It's, Thunder. it's essentially a remake of. Yep. And, but it just doesn't feel like a Bond movie to me. It feels like, Somebody thought Bond needed to be rebooted, but totally misunderstood what Bond 
is? My my personal view is that the only thing that it's really missing is the Bond music. If you would have put the Bond music on really? it, it would, it would be fine. I'd it would see. be it would be it would be absolutely fine. Well, and it's but, been it's been a few years because I I did when I bought that big Bond box set that that prompted our last. Which, by the way, for the listeners, if you want to hear me and Mike talking more about James Bond, we did an episode uh, a year or so ago about the the theme the songs. Oh, that was so much fun. Uh, and that that box set is what prompted me to do that. But I I, I didn't bother watching Never Say Never Again then because is it in the box set? Um. Oh no! It, that's I think they acquired the rights to it. Watch it, right? I think uh, I think they acquired the rights to release it, but I don't think there's they're gonna no, it's, put it in with the rest because it's them. not it's not canon. So right, to, well, so yeah, it's not it's not an Eon production. Right, right. So right, it's not done by the Broccoli. Yeah, it's completely separate. It's, so. it's out there, but it's but not. It, uh, but it should be said that in that year, you know, where it was Moore versus Connery, Moore held his own. I mean, I don't know what the final box office results were. But I do know that both of them did really well, and it wasn't like somebody just slam dunked the other. You know, I mean, the 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 audience responded to to both. So uh, so much so that I yeah, think you're you right. know it's uh, never say never again. Uh, box office is 160 million. Octopussy is 183.7 million, okay. which granted for the time is a a bigger gap than it would be now. Sure. But both of them still very, very successful. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, and so much so that I think Moore felt that he should do seven like Connery did seven. Yeah. Uh, just to, just to, you know, be equal, not to go above that. Um, but to do one more and, uh, we get view to a kill, which I, I know you love and I, and I, and I hate to be like that guy, but I don't love this movie. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I like parts of it, but I, I, I can remember seeing this in the theater and the opening, I believe it's the, towards the opening is Roger Moore having to climb up all these stairs on the Eiffel Tower. And I kept thinking to myself, why aren't they muting his grunts? Because it seems like an 80-year-old man is running up these <laughs> stairs. And he's like, ugh, 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 like the, all the way up. And I was going, okay, I know that they want to try to keep this a little realistic. But it seemed to me that they could have dialed that back a little bit. But I'm like, why are they making him run up all these stairs? But Well, to be um, fair, I, w- I was nine when I first saw it. <laughs> and uh, you would have been basically a grown-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I was, I was, I, I, yeah. Um, probably <laughs> mentally, I'm probably mentally about where I am still now. So, well, yeah, yeah right. we, I mean, as as guys, we we <laughs> exactly. stopped around eighteen. Right. I 19, peaked, but uh, I peaked, and then I've just been riding yeah. it out ever since. But uh, um, I, and, I think and that's the thing is nostalgia. Definitely, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to say it really is a great movie. It it has the nostalgia, yeah, you know, uh, draped over it. Yeah, it's it's difficult. I don't like Tanya Roberts. Uh, I like Tanya Roberts. Don't get me wrong. A poster on the wall of Tanya Roberts. I'll look at that all day long. <laughs> but as a as a Bond girl in this movie, she's pretty weak. Well, uh, and, and I like Vulcan, the... but there's not enough of them together. I feel like I like I don't. Yeah. I can't think of a I, I like with the others. I can think of a Bond versus villain verbal well they have scene. a scene they have yeah. a, a a moment of confrontation yes. whereas yeah. with uh surely okay brain help me surely he is not strax 
what the heck is he called? Uh, it's got the, an the X villain, in it, doesn't it? The villain of A View to a Kill? Yeah, yeah. Max uh, Zorin. Yeah, Max, Max Zorin. Yeah. Oh. I'd be confused with the uh, Max that he plays in Batman. Uh, yes, Max Shrek. <laughs> no, this one has an X and a Z doubling down on the evil letters in available for a name. Uh, uh, to me, Grace Jones was almost the high point of this movie. I can see that. She was certainly a, uh, a great foil. Uh, I think it was the first time that Bond ever like slept with the hench person uh, from a bad guy. So that that had a it was unique to that. Well, yeah. and also at the time in 1985, for for White Roger Moore to be, uh, and, and while well, they touched on this in uh, Live and Let Die as well, yeah. But even in 1985, White Roger Moore sleeping with Black Grace Jones, yeah, yeah. Even then was still. Not taboo, Ooh. but like, wow. Just look, something that you didn't see. Yeah. yeah. It's like, there's something you don't see every day. Particularly in something as mainstream as a James Bond movie. Yeah. Because, the, you know, this was, I don't, it certainly, I wouldn't call it the peak of the franchise, but it was certainly a peak of public awareness of the franchise. Yeah. Uh, well, it, and it was, I mean, it was pretty big at the time. Uh, I Durand, think it did well Durand successfully. did the freaking theme song. Well, yeah. I mean, as we mentioned in, you know, spoiler alert for anybody listening to our other <laughs> podcast about the themes. Yeah. But Due to a Kill comes up very high for both you and I as far as our yes. favorite uh, Bond themes. So right there and then, you know, it had the publicity of that. It, it uh, was the a video. Yeah, that that was. Well, that was the first really like sort of pop music because everything else had been a little more traditional. And granted, you could call some of the older songs, you know, pop music for the time. But I think Duran Duran was a peak of like, here is this hot popular group that the kids like. Let's use it. Yeah, yeah. And and a lot of uh, View to a Kill was that. You know, the casting of Grace Jones. She was, uh, she was huge at the time. I, and I think there was there was a little bit of of stuntery involved in this one. That may be part of what detracted from it a bit for more traditional Bond fans. Oh, that could be. That could be. But I think overall with me, the story was just not as as strong. And uh, I think when I you – know, usually when I think of this movie, my favorite part uh, of this movie is uh, when uh, Christopher Walken's character uh, just goes completely Christopher Walken and starts uh, uh, firing on Everybody like like he just like just and and maniac laughing all the way like a I mean if someone was gonna play the Joker man he was he was up for that part because he was just having a grand old time just just blowing people away his own people as well as uh, the good guys yeah it was uh, well and we get another one of the great uh, superimposed water flooding scenes. Of all time, all right. <laughs> boy did boy did uh, floods in movies not look great in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> I did really think too that the uh, Golden Great Golden Gate Bridge scene at the end, like I, I remember seeing that in the theater, going ooh because my acrophobia kicked in. So oh they, yeah, they did yeah. a, they did a pretty good job with that. I'd see if I had seen that in IMAX, I probably would have like you know threw up or something. But. <laughs> That, that, I remember that being really well shot. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not, it's, it's, it, you know, it's kind of a shame that he he didn't go out like with a stronger one, but I think if you look at the body of, of his, his work, uh, as Bond, I mean, it's right there with Connery's and, uh, you know, he set the tone. I think maybe, you know, Timothy Dalton was a reaction like against more, certainly when we get when we get to Pierce Brosnan, Pierce is a reaction to bring some of that back in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, again, we'll have to do a compare and contrast because originally our follow up to the, uh, the theme song episode was going to be comparing and contrasting the bonds. And, uh, you know how podcasting schedules go. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll get around to it, but, uh, I would not at all be surprised if whoever, you know, whenever they make the decision to replace Craig, if it's, if it indeed is going to be the next film, if it's more like Roger Moore rather than, you know, the, because Craig is a little bit more of the, of the Connery side. Yeah. So if they'll just keep flipping back and forth, you know, we'll see, we'll see. And, uh, and I but, think they need to because they need to keep things, uh, fresh. They need to alternate that tone. So that it doesn't, but because here's the thing, when you are recasting, uh, I feel like it's very smart to start with a new tone and to make things different. So people aren't comparing the performance in the same environment. Uh, you, you don't want it to feel like, well, here's another guy doing all the stuff that Daniel Craig did, but he's doing it differently. Instead, you want, here's the new guy, and he's in a slightly different kind of world. Things are a little brighter. He's a little more competent uh, and is having a little bit more fun. He's not bleeding as much. So it's, you want it to be kind of kind of like with Doctor Who, where you couldn't necessarily picture the last person doing the things that the new person is doing. Like you want to create a new context. Yeah. And I think that's what even more than Lazenby, who we only get to see in this one movie, but uh, the one that he did uh, with, with Roger, you know, Roger says that, you know, he played it for laughs. He, you know, he was not the cold blooded killer type. He, you know, he, it's not that he didn't take it seriously. He just, played it at a different level at a different, you know, at a, a different style. Yes. And, and, but I find that, you know, in movies such as for your eyes only, it kind of shows you that even though he's, he's this persona that it seems like he's charming and, and, and doing things for laughs. It, there's a deeper, there's a deeper emptiness there. And and, it, and there's a there's something else going on there that makes it compelling, as if to say like you know he's really cool, but I don't want that job. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you have to be you have to be detached. He's fun, but he still has that gravitas. Like when when yes. sh- when he is shooting at somebody, you don't feel like uh, he he'd really rather not have to kill this person. Which oh, is no. amazing. It's it's murder time. Right. And it's amazing because his gun is like the smallest of any of the James Bonds. Like 
he like whenever you see in the publicity shots and all that, he's got a like a tiny little like what is it, the Walther PPK or something, Walther right? PPK, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the traditional one. I'm not sure if that's the one he uses, but for some reason, because of his size, it just looks so small. Like he's a pea, he's got he's whipping out a pea shooter, and yet he looks just as lethal with that as anybody as as Dirty Harry does with his Magnum. See, I feel like everybody used the same. I'm. I don't see any stats on how tall he is, but I think you're right. He is bigger. He is bigger than Connery, isn't he? I believe so. And even if he isn't, he, I mean, he's playing like he, Roger Moore is always like straight up and, and he's got his shoulders up. Whereas, yeah, you yeah. know, like Connery is always a little bit more slouched and, you know, he wears the, he wears the tux, but it's got a little bit oh, of a no. to it. You know? Um, interesting. This immediately came up when I did this search. Uh, I, I put in Roger Moore height. Yeah, uh, and it came up. He's six one, uh, and then right underneath it, people also search for Sean Connery, who is six two. Pierce, oh, wow, Pierce Brosnan, who is six two, and Daniel Craig, who is five ten. Goodness gracious! So Timothy he... Dalton and George Lazenby do not come up. <laughs> they frequently don't. Poor um, fellas. Uh, you know, I think, uh, and that's, uh, but he like like I said, it's just the manner that he held himself. Yeah, you would think that he was bigger and taller than that. Yeah, he was very regal. Dalton is six two. Yes, because I feel I like the listeners at this point we owe it to them <laughs> to to fulfill this story. And our head of research is not here. Rad Ranger is not here to to be our Google alert. Uh, Lazenby also six two. Very interesting. Uh, so he is the shortest Bond. Yeah, Craig is Craig is the five at five ten. Oh wait, yes, yeah, yeah. At five ten. Craig, Craig is significantly is the shorter. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean. Considering how active he is compared to the other ones, and and you know not to take anything away from the other guys because they did you know plenty of, of of cool stuff, but I don't think there's any denying that Daniel Craig is the the athlete of the Bonds. Yeah, well, I, uh, I, yeah, I think uh, and yeah, that's just the manner that he held holds himself. You it, he just comes across as taller. Yeah, he well, he has a presence that yes. is like we were talking about with him going into the soul food place and live and let die. Uh, he has an aura and a noticeability that none of the others do. When when Roger Moore walks in, he commands a room, whereas the others are more like spies. They you know they look slick, they look suave, they look debonair, whatever the case may be, but they're not really drawing every eye in the room. It's kind of it's kind of true of the actor as well. I mean, you never see a Roger Moore performance and go, man, I can't believe that was Roger Moore. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like he he you know he plays it very close to who he is. Yeah, he is. Uh, you know, you see pictures of him, and you don't ever have to stop and think. Wait, is that Roger Moore? Because he he is just so definitive and has, like I said, just a presence, just uh, yeah. just just a look to him that is commanding. He was he was knighted uh, by Queen Elizabeth in uh, two thousand three, uh, not because he was James Bond, but because he, uh, well, more or less uh, because of his his work with UNICEF and other charities uh, as well. Um, so I think it. I mean that that was a big part. Certainly later on, that was a big part of who. Who he was? Uh, he was a ambassador for goodwill uh, for UNICEF. Um, well, I had, and, I had and, to and, learn what foie gras was because oh, yeah? that was that was one of his big. He did a lot of work with PETA. Oh, right. Uh, and specifically to get foie gras taken off uh, the menus of restaurants. And 
I don't want to explain it here because it's actually horrifying and upsetting. Uh, I do not recommend that our listeners, if you don't know what it is, I don't recommend you Google it. Uh, <laughs> but I, and I'm not like a super animal, right? Well, you know, I love dogs or whatever, but I'm not like a, all the animals must be saved guy. But <laughs> this made me want to save some animals. Um, wow. so that, you know, that, and that's the thing, but I, I, I do want to, you know, his humanitarian work is obviously significant and is why he got recognition. But I, I, we would be remiss if we didn't very briefly mention that, that other aspects of his personal life were not so admirable and just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Yes, because I, there are I, going to be people listening who are like, I can't believe they didn't mention it. And no, we're not going to mention it, but there's, there's yeah. some stuff that's not so pretty, but he, uh, he was always trying to be a, as good and decent a person as he could be. I think he just, like all of us, had some uh, demons and tendencies that got the better of him sometimes. Yeah, that's which, true. which honestly, uh, you know, from a certain perspective and, and from his overall life, makes him a little bit even more charming because he's not a perfect guy. No, because perfect guys are annoying, and we wouldn't we wouldn't be talking so fondly about a perfect guy. <laughs> <laughs> But he definitely left his mark uh, on on certainly uh, the the film industry, the entertainment industry, pop culture. You know, uh, just like you know, if you're ever ever um, you know, you hear those people who are uh, cast in like a Star Trek show or on in a Star Wars movie, right? It's like all of a sudden that you know lifts them up to they will they will live in infamy, right? Right. right. And, and as, as, you know, as much as his, his run on the saint was and as popular as he was, you know, I mean, we didn't experience that, you and I. So, um, really it was, if it wasn't, you know, for Bond, that raised him to an, uh, a level that, uh, you know, obviously we're talking about him now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in return though, uh, you know, he, I, I would I would have to qualify this somehow, but I mean he he maybe didn't raise Bond because it was it was pretty big when he stepped in, but he certainly maintained it at the level it was at. You know he he stepped into a, a franchise that was already super hot. I mean all you have to do is look at is Google '60s toys, and you're going to see cars and and spy briefcases and whatever else. I mean Bond was a merchandising giant yeah at a time when there weren't really merchandising giants and uh he he stepped in and maintained that uh, a big 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 responsibility yeah because with bond the merchandising and this started with the books really um because like actual uh because the bond books the ian fleming books were so big even before they were a movie that whenever Ian Fleming would would toss in the name of a uh, like uh, of a timepiece company, uh, you know it would be huge. Yeah, yeah. So they used to actually court him so that so that he would throw more of those in. So when the movies came out, and a big part of the movies was the not sponsorship, but the tie-ins with you know the 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 car companies, the the watch companies, the the wines, the 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 booze, the the gins, the tonics, you know, all that stuff. Like and and you know, I mean, so if you're casting James Bond, the watch has to look good on you. And Roger Moore looked good wearing a tux. He looked good wearing a watch. Yeah, that man can wear a biscuit. 
<laughs> to bring it back to wrestling terms. So to close this thing out, uh, I, I mean, I think we've covered pretty thoroughly just our personal, cause that, you know, that's what we always do here on the Needless Things podcast is look at everything from a more personal perspective. Uh, and I, I think we've covered it pretty well. Is there, are there any last thoughts that you have about Roger Moore? Anything that you came to this with that, that you haven't gotten out yet? No, I mean, I just encourage people to, uh, you know, check out some of his other work, uh, because he was great as Bond. I certainly am going to try to track down uh, some of his work as the saint because I'd really like to – I mean he was on that for seven years or whatever. Yeah. And so I'd like to check that out. But I, I definitely encourage people to check out some of that stuff that we talked about, some of the stuff he did in the uh, late 70s, early 80s uh, when he was kind of trying to do other things. Uh, I would ima- I would encourage people to stay away from Curse of the Pink Panther because oh. that is not a, a a that's not that doesn't help anybody. No, that's not um, good by any definition. No, so uh, so stay away from that. But other than that, I would say uh, you know just uh, look at some of the other stuff he did. Yeah, I would definitely. Uh, I want to I want to see some episodes of The Saint. Uh, I want to rewatch Cannonball Run, mm. and I'm going to have to track down Escape to Athena because, like I said, when I was reading about that. It, it, it just, it, it was one of those moments where the familiar, familiarity like cracked my soul. I was like, oh my gosh, I've seen this. And it, I must have been very young because I, it was just a matter of, I have seen these actors together and not remembering like the story or anything. I mean, it looks I'm, fun. I'm sure it was on like HBO or something, you know? Yeah, it looks like a fun movie. So I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna try to look that one up too. All right. Well, Mike Gordon, thank you so much for taking the time if to you, uh, come on here up, and talk about the, uh, uh, Roger Simon Moore. Song, uh, mostly it's James Bond, but we oh, sure. on other things as well and hopefully Absolutely. gave the listeners So there it is. Uh, Sir Roger Moore. My pleasure. And uh, real quick, that I wanted to have. Uh, uh, you can find exactly me, of course, uh, on weekly. I do the and ESO podcast, so EarthStation1.com or EarthStationESONetwork.com. You can find me there. And if you want to check out my books, comics that I'm that I'm responsible for, please check out New Legend Productions or NewLegendMike.com. Awesome. Newest Needless Commentary. Thank you. Or a Wonder Woman episode. Hopefully a Wonder Woman episode, just because I really want to talk about that movie. And I really want you guys to, to hear about that movie. And then uh, the next week will be either a Needless Commentary or our Wilmington, North Carolina special. And hopefully the week after that will be the Wilmington, North Carolina special. And then who knows what's after that. Uh, we, we've got, of course, a Needless Commentary every month for the rest of the year. We have most of them scheduled out. I still have a few guest slots that I'm working on. Uh, but as always, uh, if, if the schedule works out, that's it. I need to put that on. If I ever do t-shirts again, which I will not, because I'm still sitting on like 50 Dirty Dirty Con Con Game Game Show Show t-shirts. But if I were to ever do t-shirts again, it would say needless things if scheduling permits. Nobody would buy that. You guys wouldn't buy that. Tell me what you would buy. Let me know. Give me some feedback. Send me an, send me an email at phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com or join the Needless Things podcast Facebook group and tell us what you think over there. I love feedback. Negative, positive, whatever. Just let me know you're listening. Throw me a freaking bone here, people. All right, I won't do that anymore because I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. 
And of course, it's at needlessthingssite.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.